The worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades, especially if your teammates are bad guessers. <laughs> Dimitri Martin. It's terrible. It's like the mime who's caught in a real glass box in the middle of the city. You're right. And he suffocates or whatever. That's... Yeah. Oh, uh, gosh. That's a, that's a great. That's a terrible good, image. Good joke, Dimitri. That was good. I like it. But I t- death is way easier, though, than dealing with death. Yeah. I think that's why so many comedians and people can make – not make fun of death, but there's so much comedy around death because it's such an awkward conversation to have. And a lot of people, they just don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. And I think for somebody, if you have a friend or someone in your life – who is grieving the loss of a loved one, there's few things more important than for you to be prepared of how to help that person. So that's what we want to help you with uh, in this episode. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. that you are with us today. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? We are doing great, and we are joined by my good friend, Dave Dunson, and we've been friends for 22 years, ministry partners, um, gone on trips together, gotten in trouble together, um, but Dave uh, has, in, in the many things he's done in ministry, the one area where he spends a lot of time that's very unique is in just working and helping people who are grieving the loss of a loved one, Mm. which is just, I can do that, and then I just need a week to sit in the corner um, and kind of recover. And Dave's really been especially gifted, and I've learned a lot from him. So Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, and can you just tell people a little bit about your role um, in helping people um, in the church setting, uh, people can probably imagine what that looks like. Uh, but with the Tulsa Fire and Police as a chaplain, what does that look like in your role there? I think the the two differences that I see between pastoral care and uh, my my ministry as a chaplain with Tulsa Police and Fire is the the anticipation for a church member is that my pastor will be there or somebody from my church will be there uh, and they have an expectation that Dave's going to talk about spiritual things um, which which I do uh, but when I uh, show up on on a scene with the police department uh, I am I am very much an anomaly to crime scenes uh, and uh, so there, there are times when people don't know exactly, okay, what is your role and why are you here? Um, I've been a chaplain now. I just, uh, March 7th, I just completed 29 years uh, with Tulsa Police. Uh, and our role is a little bit different than chaplains in other departments uh, uh, because our focus is helping deal with the public uh, during times when there has been a loss either uh, you know, an unattended death, unexpected death, and police are called to that, or whether it's been a homicide or a suicide, fire fatality, traffic fatality, that uh, those kind of things. 
and our primary responsibility in those circumstances is to help notify the next of kin. So that is, that is uh, what has put me in a place where, I, where I'm exposed to a lot of grief and, and I have to deal with the reality that I, that I bring grief uh, when I show up at a home. So when uh, there is a, a death in the city, for instance, uh, perhaps a suicide, oftentimes you would be the first person telling your your child or your parent or your sibling um, is no longer with us. Right. Like walking through that. Right. This week I, I dealt with a family that uh, the family lived out of town. The person that took their life, of course, was here in Tulsa. And so then there were some things that I had to do to be able to notify people out of town made contact with another department so that the chaplain out there uh, could actually go make in person. We hate making those notifications over the phone. Yeah, yeah. And so you see people at the very first stages of grief. What are some of those typical kind of first stage responses that you, that you deal with? There is always the shock. Um, I had another call this week, and when I got to the home, they had been trying to reach their loved one who'd gone to a doctor's appointment. And so they were expecting that person to come home from the doctor's appointment mm-hmm. and uh, um, actually died out in the parking lot. Everything had been fine at the doctor's office, but it was just one of those tragic things. And so when I get to the house, they are not expecting me. They're expecting their loved one to come. Wow. And so there, there is a lot of shock. Uh, and, and that is just overwhelming to people. They're trying to process information. You know, I hear things like, this can't be happening. Uh, this isn't real. Uh, you're lying. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, those kind of things. Uh, I had one where I notified a lady of her son's death. It was a natural death. And I was waiting at her residence for a friend of hers to come so that she wasn't by herself. She was the only one that lived there. Uh, and at one point, she just looked across the room at me and said, you have a horrible job. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, again, when I am the bearer of bad news, you know, I have to be able to understand that their reaction is a reaction to the circumstances and not a reaction to me uh, personally. But they are in grief and they're in shock, and, and I listen a lot. Yeah. So we all have we all have people who we're going to try to help through this process of grieving. And um, oftentimes when we have a friend who goes through a crisis, we're just like, I don't know what to do. We almost feel paralyzed of like, I'm sorry for my friend, but I don't know what to say. And there's a lot of things that we should not do or say. Can you share some of those things that we should definitely not do? One of the one of the knots is uh, don't avoid the person as much as you feel uncomfortable going to their house. Um, you know, when you look at the Book of Job, the best things that the three friends did the first week they showed up and they were there, and their ministry was a ministry of presence. Uh, Things went wrong when they started talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's and so 
uh, go ahead and show up. Uh, and, and then uh, we often try to say things that we're, we're thinking we're helping them, but what we're really trying to do is, is help ourselves. It'll mm. all be better. Uh, it's God's plan. Uh, we, you know, those kind of things that we're trying to, we're trying to rationalize in our, in our own minds. And so we say those kind of things, we blurt them out. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. Uh, and those kind of things, those are things to avoid saying. And so being present, and that may be very, very difficult because I don't know what to say. Well, show up and say, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I am here. And, and don't ask them to make decisions. What can I do? Can I do this? Can I do that? Just be present for a while. And then you may begin to see things that you can do. And mm-hmm. so that, that's an important part of that. Yeah, I had a, a very, very close friend die in high school, and his family lived just 100 yards from our house. We had a little path through a field that connected our houses. And I remember one time um, needing to go over there or wanting to go over there, and I can't remember why, but telling my mom, like, I always feel guilty when I go over there because I know that when they see me, they think of their son because we were best friends, and I don't want to remind them of that. My mom was like, you think they're not already thinking about him all the time? Yeah. Like, oh, that's true. So she's right. like, go, go on over. <laughs> and, exactly. and I appreciate, and I've always remembered that, that bit of wisdom. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now that we know a little bit not what to do or say. Yeah, don't uh, do this, yeah. but do <laughs> what are these some, things. What are some, uh, showing up is the first big thing, but what are some other helpful things that we could do or say? Let me, let me explain it this way. When I was early in ministry and would, would talk to us about preaching, you know, the, the standard line was show up, stand up, speak up, shut up. Uh, oh, that's really good. Great sermon outline. Oh, my gosh, I like that. One more time, just for those in the pack. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, but when it comes to dealing with people's grief, there, I, I, I call it a, a more aerobic approach. I show up, I sit down, I listen up, and then I, I also uh, kneel down. And in that, I'm talking about the showing up is being available. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sitting down is being accessible. The listening up is I'm trying to hear what they're saying. I'm not there to tell them something. I'm here to listen to what they're saying. And then the kneel down part, uh, that, is, that is when I begin to speak into them after I've had the opportunity to listen. Uh, so it's uh, be available, be accessible, be attentive. And then the kneeling down part, be, ass- be assertive, speaking the truth in love. Um, and so that's that's kind of the kind of a formula or a or a format the things that that we know are true oftentimes i you know because a person is dealing with grief and they're they're questioning who god is why did god let this happen you know i can't trust god i uh, in in grief share i i lead our grief share group and 
oftentimes we hear people saying, you know, I, I, I really question where God was in all of that. Well, that's a normal reaction. And I don't have to defend God. God's big enough to take care of himself. Uh, and I don't have to be offended on behalf of God. God is big enough to handle that. I, I use the example that when my girls were little and if they got really mad at me and they said, you don't love me, that didn't change my love for them. Uh, I, I'm big enough to handle that. And so God is big enough to handle us in our grief. And uh, uh, so speaking to people the truth, uh, sometimes it's very difficult. And a lot of times the truth is, we don't know why this happened. Uh, a friend uh, said one time that he'd lost his brother, and uh, uh, at his brother's funeral, it was a, it was a, it really was a great time, a celebration of his life. Later, a person came to that person and said, "My brother attended your brother's funeral, and as a result of that, he now wants to follow Christ. So we know why your brother died." And the friend said, that's not why my brother died. God didn't need my brother to die to reach him. He might have used that. So we have to be careful that we don't, you know, insert something that, so we're trying to arrive at a conclusion. But we just know what Scripture says, that God is present. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Grief Share. Do you want to share... Tell us just a little bit more about what that ministry is. You've led that at our church for quite some time, and it's really been effective. It is. It, grief share is, is one of the things that I believe that uh, when, when congregations uh, offer grief share, they are really doing a tremendous ministry to the community uh, as well as to their congregation. But grief share is a Christ-centered grief recovery program um, and the, the practical elements of it are we watch, a, we watch a video series, we have a workbook we work from, and then we have a discussion time. It's a 13-week series. Uh, there are many, many churches all across our city and around the world that are offering grief share. Um, a thing that I have learned is uh, that there are people within our community that may have a friend who has gone through grief share and say to them, you, you really need to try grief share. There are people that come to our grief share that aren't connected to our church, but they find real comforting uh, instruction and help because it is a safe place to talk about grief. Uh, and uh, I, I, so I am, I'm always recommending people to uh, find grief share. Yeah. How has the Bible shaped how you care for grieving people? One of the one of the stories that that helps me, uh, you know, when uh, Lazarus died, you know, in in John eleven, Lazarus dies. The sisters come to him and they say, "Lord, if you'd have been here, this yeah. wouldn't have happened." Yeah. And you know, I hear modern day versions of that often. Mm. You know, if God would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, and I look at how did Jesus respond? Now, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew he was going to do that. And yet, 
John 11 says Jesus wept. So why, if he knew he was going to raise him, why was he crying? Because he loved those people. And, and I think the Bible in, informs us that people who are in grief, uh, they just need to be loved at that point. Mm-hmm. And as, as a person who cares for that person, um, we share, you know, we share our faith in Christ. Um, Romans eight twenty eight is a passage of scripture that one time a, a, a very dear, committed, faithful Christian said that when they lost their son, that people quoted that verse to them. And he said, I became where I hated that verse. He said, I believe that verse, but that wasn't the verse I needed right then. And I've, I've said, that's a good verse to have in your gun, but don't let it be the first bullet out. Don't, don't mm-hmm. use that the first thing out mm-hmm. because that, that comes across as I'm diminishing your grief. Jesus wept with them. Jesus was present and just wept, even though he knew what he was going to do. And he wasn't offended when Mary and Martha both said, hey, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, have you noticed a difference in responses uh, between people who are believers and aren't believers whenever they're presented with the news of the loss of a loved one or the, the, the death of a family member? Is there a difference between the two? Or are they generally the same? Often the same because, because the shock. Uh, even, you know, I've been in hospital rooms and we've, we've watched, literally, we've watched the monitor go flatline. Um, and it is still a shock. You know, I deal with families who have loved ones on hospice. And you're on hospice because you were anticipating that death is going to come. It is still a shock. Uh, however, when I deal with, with families who are people of faith and I give them the bad news, we do have some common resource, but the resource comes after we work through the shock part. And uh, uh, I, 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 I will have them apologize. I'm sorry I yelled at you. That's totally okay. That is totally okay because I gave you. You know, we often say in chaplaincy, we see some of the best people on the worst days of their life because we're just giving them bad news. On a completely unrelated note, I am always fascinated when I get to talk to people in their profession, how they respond to watching their profession uh, on film or in television. Most doctors hate medical shows. Most lawyers hate lawyer films. For someone like you, is it hard to watch um, uh, shows or movies where an officer or someone is presenting the news to a family member or to that family, um, and you're sitting there going, oh, they're doing it wrong. Oh, that would never happen. Oh, this is painful to watch. Do you have that experience ever? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I look at that and like, and uh, uh, I'll have to be careful. Of my, other, my, otherwise, my wife will say, you're muttering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you <know>. gosh. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you look at it and you're like, no, that, you know, and uh, my wife is, is a, a Murder, She Wrote. She's a Murder, She Wrote fan. Oh, and Angela Lansbury. Angela oh, Lansbury. Yeah. And uh, I, I, would, I would mock her watching that show <laughs> because 
her typical thing was, what you didn't know was while you were doing this, I was doing this, and I solved, the, you know, I solved it in the last two minutes. You know, and I'm like, ah. But, you know, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at fantasy, and I have to remember that. Um, but, you know, I, but sometimes on some of the more modern shows, uh, and you see people in crisis, I'm, I'm, I'm often thinking, you guys really should have had a chaplain with you mm. because, uh, you know, and, and our officers. Um, just recently, I, I was in a circumstance where I was sitting with a group of officers, and uh, when they f realized that I was one of the chaplains, you know, they say, man, I'm really glad when you show up on a scene because, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that when we show up on the scene, we allow them to do what they need to do, and we do what we're there to deal with the family. And we become liaison to the family. Uh, I've got a meeting today with a family to help them get some information. And so that's, you know, after the, after the fact, but we still try to minister in that way. You talk about how you do what you do, and then the other part of your group does what they're supposed to do. Um, what does that relationship look like? Because you're very much representative of a religious um, mentality, um, but they're very much working for the government, the law enforcement aspect. Um, what is that relationship like of, you know, separation, if you will, of church and state, but now you're working with the state or they're working with you? Right. Um, have you ever had any issues, any problems or any, well, don't do that here. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, what right. does that relationship look like? Because we because we work with them regularly, you know, like I've been doing it for 29 years. The, the thing that I'm finding is I've got young officers that I don't know, and to main sure, make to uh, maintain relationship with them, we do what we call ride-alongs. We'll go ride with them, and we're seeing them in their in their uh, responsibility, and we're just along to be there to listen. You know. Uh, a lot of departments, they use chaplains more like psychological services for the officer. In other words, uh, we're, the, we're the counselor. Um, you have to earn the right for, with an officer for the officer to feel safe that he can tell you something. And, uh, and through the years, as I've gone, grown acquainted with some of the officers, we, uh, we talk and uh, I've had them call me after after a bad case that they've had uh, because they know it's safe that they can talk to me. Uh, and uh, I had one guy say, you saw what I saw, right? And I said, well, I saw some of what you saw. And so they can feel that kind of freedom to then to say, okay. Now, when, I'm, when we're on, I, I had one call where the, I arrived at the house and the officer met me getting out of my car and said, Dave, I'm glad you're here, but this guy is not going to be glad to see you. You know, he hates us, and he hates God, and he hates you, even though he's never met you. And, you know, and I said, okay. Uh, and, and so that was one of those situations where I, by the time the evening was over, the guy was still hostile to everybody. Uh, and he had, uh, but he finally, in, in, in the body language was, 
this is not what I used to usually say, but thank you. And, and mm -hmm. that was, uh, you know, and uh, the officer, after that call, the officer came and we were actually, by that time we were at a hospital and uh, he said, are you ready to leave? And uh, I said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm sorry if you stayed. He said, I wasn't going to leave you here with this guy. Mm. Uh, so, so we become friends and, and they are protective and, you know, and I, I do what I can do so that they can do what they need to do. And then we all go home. Yeah. I, and I, uh, from an outsider perspective, looking in, seems like Tulsa has a very healthy relationship with our law enforcement officers and chaplains that you don't always see in every city where some, in some cities, there's this idea of like, the chaplains can't help us. And, and then there's places where the chaplains really don't help them if they're overstepping the bounds or not being courteous. Right. So it's a, it has to be right. a, a two-way kind of trust built, but can be really helpful for cities. That's what I've seen in Tulsa. Right. And, you know, our history, uh, our history was adversarial at the first because the officers thought we were doing the oversight and that we were reporting on them and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And through the years, we've been able to establish a relationship that uh, you know and we have a lot of lot of officers that are believers we have a lot of officers that aren't but we still work together with them as well uh, because they they respect what we do we respect what they do and we're in this together well uh, thanks so much everyone for listening today dave thanks so much for being with us and and sharing with us you have a verse you want to leave us with i do uh, it comes from Psalm, from isaiah chapter 50 the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Uh, uh, my scroll. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the words that sustain the weary. And that from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Um, he gives me an instructed tongue, and that's what I pray for. God, help me to have the words to say uh, in this particular situation, uh, words that sustain the weary, and he wakens me in the morning, and he wakens my ears to listen like one being instructed. I want to listen well so that I can speak well. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we're so thankful that you joined us, and for our listeners, thank you. Uh, you know, we, we hope that uh, you don't have to use these things quickly, but you will have to use them in your life and uh, not only for yourself, but for others. And so don't shy away from those people uh, who are grieving, but, but be with them. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. <laughs>